Welcome to the Ninja Tune Podcast. My name's Will Ashen, and this week I am talking to Stephen Bruner, better known as Thundercat. We'll be talking about his musical upbringing, some of the tracks that have influenced him over the years, his new album, Apocalypse, which is out now on Brain Feeder. I was going to start by asking you about your family. You come from a very musical family, so I'm presuming that that's where your your musicality began was at home and with your family. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, man. Um, everybody in my family plays an instrument, and it's very awkward. And we're like uh, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no. It's it's one of those things. that's like it, you know. That's to have that as an element changes everything. Of course, you know. And uh, a lot of my friends growing up, as we got older, you know, they would always be like, I couldn't understand why they couldn't understand certain things. And every once in a while, somebody would always bring it back to my attention. Steven, you grew up in a house where they would play all kinds of music. We didn't all grow up like that. And it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, that's right. And not everybody has a family that's like that. Um, so I'm right in thinking your dad was a drummer, a jazz drummer. Is that correct? Yeah, my dad's a drummer. My mom's a flautist and a percussionist. My older brother's a drummer, like, you know, the best drummer in the entire world, like seriously. And then my little brother also plays piano and he's a producer and songwriter, you know, and he also has an afro. And, uh, you know, if we uh, stood in silhouette, we'd probably look like the Jackson 5. It's very awkward, but like a fatter Jackson 5. It's just, it's a weird, fat Jacksons, Fatsons, the Fatson 5. There you go.
And I mean, obviously, there's, as you say, there's massive advantages to, to coming from that environment in terms of, you know, what you're exposed to musically and, and so on. But are there also, obviously, there's an element of playing together, but is there an element of competition that comes with that as well? No, not exactly. We can't, we weren't really raised like that. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't ever really, never really sibling rivalry. It was kind of one of those things like, get away from me. <laughs> it was kind of like that. It was like, which direction are you going? Okay, I'm going the other way. You know, but um, it's like it's one of those things that's like you know, it's, you know, it had its natural progressions. You know, the brotherly thing, where it's like, you know, I was like the annoying little brother at one point, and then my little brother was like, you know, you know, the one that you could, you know, I'd have to keep my older brother from bullying, and then you know, my dad was like the ringleader of you know just shenanigans, and then my mom, you know. She had to deal with four men <laughs> in, in, in a in small confined space. So you know she's you know she's actually the Hulk at heart. You know, just, you know I don't know why she chose flute because she should have chose beating on brick walls. But you know she plays the flute. No, but um, yeah, it's you know it's just natural progression. We I know it, it, it's kind of one of those things like it was fun more so you know it was a lot of weird emotional things that developed but at the same time it's like we kind of bounced off of each other a bit you know so we still do so wasn't it your brother who first brought you in as a professional musician is that true that you started playing with him yeah i mean well actually professionally i started playing um in the the multi-school jazz band with my teacher reggie andrews and I was like, you know, Mr. Andrews, best guy ever. And, um, yeah, like, I would, you know, every once in a while I gig with my brother, you know. We actually had a band when we were younger with a, a friend of mine named Kamasi Washington and also another friend named Cameron Graves called the Young Jazz Giants. And we would play around L.A. a bit, you know. It's kind of all of our group. It wasn't, like, you know, specifically anybody's, you know. And, um... Every once in a while, me and my brother would play together a bit, but yeah, it's like, indirectly, he kind of ushered me into music, you know, by being such a ball of fire that I was referring to, (laughs) you know, and, um, you know, like they used to have a nickname for my brother, we used to call him Crash and Burn, because he he was just such a, um, it was like he would, he just had so much to say on his instrument, it would literally overwhelm people, and it'd just be like they couldn't. It's like while you're while you're doing the song is one thing, and then you give him a solo, and then it's like somebody threw a ball of fire at you. <laughs> it's just like, whoa! Just God, get the fire! You know, it's like it's too much. But yeah, you know, it's you know indirectly, you know, kind of held my hand a bit, you know, kind of trailblazed for me a bit, you know. But uh, that's the thing about brothers, you know, it's one of those things where it's like we're still brothers. <laughs> you know, you can't make up for really. that. So. I wanted to talk to you about bass, not the bass, but bass, the frequency. I mean, as a bass player, I'm, I, I seem to spend a lot of time talking to musicians about bass. I don't know why that is, but um, so what was, was, did you choose the bass guitar because of bass, the frequency, or was it just because it was the instrument that was lying around the house? What, what, what took you there? Well, I don't know if it was so much the frequency. I don't know, because um, I also played violin growing up, you know. And I think it was more so a thing about strings, you know, because I felt comfortable with something that was in my hands in that manner. And bass kind of just came natural, I guess, because maybe at some point the frequency did affect me, you know. But 
I wouldn't have been able to tell when I was a kid. You know, I was swinging a Thundercat sword around and, you know, eating cat food. I wasn't like, ooh, that... How many hertz is that? Ooh, that's making my chest rattle. No, but, you know, I mean, as I got older, that, that actually would be more fun. But that would also freak people out because it's like, cut your bass down. It's like, no! <laughs> I do not want to cut my bass down. This is... This is... This is I don't see why this should be played lower. It was kind of like Spinal Tap. I just had the amp on 11 all the time. You know, even swinging, like if we were swinging, I, people get mad all the time because I bring an electric bass to a jazz gig. And they'd be like, you're not playing upright. And I'd be like, so what? <laughs> you know, but you know, it's one of those things like, you know, um, I'm pretty sure at some point frequency affected me. But I think it was more so the melodicness of it, you know, the melodic string factor. Do you still play violin, or is that something that's been left behind? I couldn't tell you anything about a violin <laughs> anymore. I may break the neck on accident. <laughs> it's like a, I may try to eat it or use it as a toothpick. I don't know. It's you know, I may use it as a door, something to prop a door open. I don't know how to play a violin anymore at all. I barely remember the tuning, and I tried to tune it one day, and the, the, the string shot off and poked into my skin, and I had to put alcohol on my hand because it was bleeding. So I don't know what a violin is anymore. I'm pretty sure that's an old ship that was used by the Vikings. You know, I don't know. I think that's probably a good moment to tell us your first musical choice for for the show and tell us why you picked it. The first song actually is Jaco Pastorius's uh, Portrait of Tracy. That song for me was a life changer. I got introduced to Jaco by my dad and uh, it was very weird because I remember I was playing Super Nintendo. And I was like uh, playing Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, with the cheat codes. That was the best way to play that game. And I was playing Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and my dad bought this record. It wasn't even a record, it was a CD. And uh, he just put it on. And I started playing the game, and then I was like, ooh. And I was playing the game, and I was like, I was like, man, what is, you know, it, it kind of took me for a loop because it was real pretty. You know, and I would do that thing where I would cut the video game music down and just listen to the music. And... My dad was playing it, and I was kind of sitting there, you know, trying to ride, trying to fight some of the stormtroopers. And then Portrait of Tracy came on, and I paused the game, and I walked over to my dad, and I just kind of stood there, and I was like, whoa, I was like, what is this? And my dad explained who Jocko was, and he told me that that was him playing bass by himself. And the fact that there was a guy playing a lead line and playing the bass, and harmonizing with all everything that was going on there freaked me out i just i just stopped playing the video games and just picked my bass up it's pretty interesting so as you can see i was very very uh very fickle as a child and my brain had the attention span over the wind so you know it was like it was one of those things where my dad kind of reeled me in with that you know and that was kind of like the or the defining moment in me going i want to play bass
now let's turn to the new album um called apocalypse the first album was called golden age of apocalypse um is there a connection between the well obviously there's a connection between the titles <laughs> why why what what is it with apocalypse i don't know it's kind of one of those things where it's like even though it's a reoccurring kind of theme it's one of those things like it feels i don't know it, i guess that's that's what things feel like sometimes nowadays so my mom actually named the first album and um that being that being a factor in it, it was kind of one of those things where she felt like that's what she saw and heard in the music, and you know, it was one of the things I ran with that. But then the name Apocalypse it also represents the end of an era for me, so to speak. You know, like you know, one of my closest friends dying. You know, I'm almost 30 now, and it's like you know, that's this is usually one of the most weirdest times in a guy's life. You know, other than that, I just like seeing things blow up and end. So I'm hoping that after this album finishes selling, the world will just blow up and end. That way, it'll be, it'll be fitting to the name. <laughs> and talk to me about how you've developed musically since the first album. How this, you know, the differences between the first album and this album. I mean, there's obvious differences in that you, you sing a bit more on this one. Um, but talk me through it from your point of view. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting process. You know, it's kind of one of those things that's like, you know, I would listen to the music, you know, before it had lyrics a lot of the time. I would just listen to it repetitively. Um, wasn't that I, I mean it was just kind of listening to things and trying to get from it whatever it had to offer with just me hearing it because sometimes I don't know I don't know if I can be short-sighted with stuff sometimes or you know so I would just listen thoroughly listen and listen and listen and listen and then whenever I would get with Lotus you know we would sit and we would go through stuff you know kind of try to tighten things up a bit you know uh, a lot of the time the music would come first of course but uh, the lyrics actually came a little bit differently than the music because of the different factors of course like the passing of my good friend Austin Peralta and stuff and it was just kind of like a, a lot of the time the lyrics would come when there wasn't any music on Sometimes I'd be self-conscious about my voice because it's kind of like singing more. I know I didn't suck entirely, you know, but it was like at the same time I didn't know I was cool enough to sing. So I would just kind of attack it head on, you know. And then when it was all finished, it was, it was like when we sat back and listened to it, it was like one of those things where I could only listen to it kind of once through because it's kind of difficult. I'd get all emotional. And it was funny. Um, that happened to Lotus uh, uh, the first time he listened back to it straight through, and he said he said he couldn't even finish listening to it. He had to, had to do it and you know take breaks from listening to it because he'd get too emotional. And then the funny thing that would happen was whenever we play it for one of our friends or something, by the time they got through the album, everybody they'd be crying, and it was kind of one of those things like it was like this album's done, you know. So it was kind of like it wasn't to make people cry, but it was kind of one, one of those things like it was you know it, it had it felt like it carried that much weight to it emotionally and you know once it was like you can't make it's like if you go any further somebody may kill themselves you know <laughs> no but you know it was kind of like you know that was it and then you know from there, it's just kind of where it is from there you know, we try, we try to find 
I think at that point we're going to take a break from talking about the album for you to pick your second record for us, please. The next record is Stanley Clark, Life is Just a Game. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom, uh, she tried to pay. She said, she, I don't even remember if she paid me. My mom said she would pay me to learn that song verbatim. And I was like, sure, whatever. It was almost like some just like hook, line, and sinker. Like, I think my mom still owes me $200. <laughs> but you know, I was like, I can't remember that far back. But I remember learning this song on bass and um the, by learning it and learning you know the, the the bass solos and learning the you know the progressions learning the lyrics and stuff like that i got a chance to feel a little bit more a, attached to the music and understanding of like what it meant to write something like that you know it's like man this is crazy you know so yeah that's stanley clark life is just a game That was Life Is Just A Game by Stanley Clark. Um, you've already spoken about him a bit, but I guess one of the differences with this album was uh, the that Flying Lotus, Steve was more involved. Um, could you talk a little bit about, both about how that came apart and how the pair of you worked together on the record? It's one of those things that's like, with Lotus, um, we've always kind of worked together, you know, very closely. And it's kind of, it feels like uh, with this album, um, he was a little more involved in the, you know, the mechanical process in a sense of like he was he was very much involved with the first one too, but um, with this one he kind of he added his two cents to it in a sense of uh, you know like the Tron song you know it's like he put his stamp on that song and you know even so much as like the little breaks and different things in the album you could hear his sensibility in it. Don't you know you rock my things.
things where it's like a lot of the time me and Lotus will try to be very open to each other creatively and like what each other has to say, you know, and uh, a lot of the time there was so many different places we could go creatively. So it just, you know, we didn't try to stop ourselves from going there. With this album, sometimes he would sit with it, you know, and then we would sit with it together, but it was kind of one of those things that, you know, it's like he had to have his process to it too. You've spent a lot of time working for other people as a session musician or in bands. Have you found it hard to adjust to focusing more on yourself as an artist? And is that something that Steve's helped with? be honest with you, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch for me sometimes in a bunch of different ways, actually, because, you know, it comes natural to me to want to go play and work with people all the time, you know. Um, being an artist now, it's kind of one of those things where I actually have to protect that sometimes because of the fact that it's like I would always be so accessible to stuff. It's like, you know, I've, I leave myself open sometimes to be, you know, taken advantage of or something like that. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, I just have to be respectful of that side of what I do too now. You know, it's like I have to be conscious of like, you know, what I spend time doing sometimes maybe or even so much as um, what somebody takes from me. And with that, can we have your next musical choice, please? Next musical choice selection is Jay Dilla through De La Soul. Stakes is high. I actually would say it was Jay Dilla because it's funny. I would when I would listen to music and rap growing up, I'd always hear the music first. You know, and I was definitely a fan of rap at the same time, but music more so. And when I heard Stakes is High, I heard the sample, I remember I couldn't figure out, it was on, I think it was on the radio when I was a kid, actually. It was on the radio, like, in the 90s. And I didn't know the name of the song because, you know, it was like my mind would move. Over. Like, whenever somebody would stop, whenever somebody would start talking, I would just, it'd be like Snoopy. And then... <laughs> Is like I remember hearing that, and then it stuck with me forever. And then I remember trying to sing the song for somebody like years later. Like, do you know what song this is? And like the lead line on the melody of the song is one note. And everybody would be singing it, and somebody would be like, "What the hell are you singing, man?" And like, uh, it's this song. It's and like, and then I think I, I think Shafi, I sang it for Shafi Hussein. From Sawa, I created partners. He's like, oh, you're talking about Jay Dillon Stakes is high. And I was like, oh! And I was like, I was like finally, after like 2,000 years, I found the song. It's, it's you know, just had, was asking the wrong people. And, um, you know, it just was one of my favorite songs ever. It changed my life. Jay Dilla changed my life. Instamatic focal point bringing damage to your borough. Be some brothers from the east with the beats that be thorough. Got the solar gravitation, so I'm bound to pull it. I gets down like brothers are found, ducking from bullets. Gun control means using both hands in my land. It's all about the cautious living. Migrating to a higher form of consequence. Compliments are struggling that shouldn't be notable. Man, every word I say should be a hip hop quote. I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. I'm sick of talking about blood. Sick of Versace glasses. Sick of slang. 
Sick of half ass award shows, sick of name brand clothes, sick of RB bitches over bullshit trash, cocaine and cracks, which bring sickness to black. Sick of swole head rappers with they sickening raps, claps and gaps, making the whole sick world collapse. The facts are getting sicker, even sicker, perhaps. Push to make a bundle to escape the synapse. Man, life can get all up in your ass, baby. You better work it out. And let me tell you what it's all about. A skin not considered equal. A meteor has more right than my people who be wasting time screaming who they've hated. That's why the native tongues has officially been reinstated. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. We talking about That was Jay Diller or Della Soul, Stakes is High, depending on whether you're reading the record sleeve or speaking to Thundercat. you about was um I mean you're LA born and bred do you think where you're from feeds into your music in any way do you think that the sound of your records is influenced by by LA oh heck yeah man like LA is or my teacher used to call LA a renaissance area and it's one of those things like yeah there's you got to think of the, the different things that have come out of LA you got Hollywood you have everything that's come out of art and entertainment as a result of Hollywood you know you got so many different things you know so many different factors and a lot of the people that I grew up around creatively as a child the things I was exposed to it would have never happened if I wasn't in LA growing up and getting a chance to play with Billy Higgins at the world stage like every third Sunday you know hanging out with John Coltrane's old percussion player Juno being able to have worked with Sal Rock creative partners for so long any you know and then just the the different types of musicians that have come out of LA like Patrice Russian and Dugu Chancellor Horace Tapscott you know all these cats are LA cats you know even Roy Ayers Roy Ayers was from Inglewood it is something out there you know you can tap into record please if we could 
Hopefully it's an LA themed record. I don't suppose it is, but you know, I can live in hope. <laughs> um, no, the next song is not an LA record. It is the Chikoria Electric Band. And it's called No Zone off the Electric Band album. And um, the funny thing was my brother used to listen to this album on repeat all the time. And there was a time when me and my brother would like fight over the TV and the radio. Like, oh, just, it'd be terrible. I think I threw my bass at him one time. Like, literally, I threw my bass at my brother because he was messing with the TV. And, <laughs> but he would practice to this album, Chikoria, the electric band. And um, when he would practice to it, I would cut the TV down. And I would listen to my brother beating on a pillow. He would just be beating on the pillow and chewing on his tongue. And um, trying to, you know, learn how to play. You know, inside of a different, you know, I don't know what he was, I don't know, it's very hard to describe what my brother was taking from the music when he was growing up, other than, you know, playing real fast and crazy and, you know, I can't wait to blow somebody's gig to smithereens, you know, (laughs) I didn't know what my brother was taking from it, but when I would listen to it, it definitely stuck with me some of the stuff, and this being one of them, you know, I'm pretty sure he would fast forward past this song too, because it was slow, but... (laughs) It's like It's one of those things like It affected me You know In a different way Turning to a, a, a much more serious subject, I mean, something we've, we've skirted around but we haven't talked about a lot is obviously um, uh, the passing of your friend Austin Peralta. I mean, the album has his picture inside. You know, the last track is obviously what well, the whole album's dedicated to him, but the last track in particular. Um, it obviously had a huge effect upon you and on the making of the record. Um, I don't know how much you want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But if you do, maybe you could, you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, it's one of my closest friends you know guy would you know show up at my house every day and uh you know i would leave my door open for him and um he would just kick the door in you know kind of cut the tv on if there was food he would just eat it you know and then you know i'd wake up and you know i mean i literally i sleep sitting up so i was like i'm sitting up with the xbox controller asleep you know, and this guy would come in and just cut the big Lebowski on and just be like, wake up. And he'd have his piano in his car and a skateboard. <laughs> like, you know, just, and then the whole day would just be ruined. <laughs> like, it would be just utterly destroyed. And by the end of the night, like two people would have been offended and I'd have to like try to explain to them what just happened. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is not what it looks like, okay? Austin likes you. So. No, but, um, yeah, no, it was just one of my good buddies, man. You know, I miss him very much. And it kind of freaked me out, his passing, because I was with him right before he passed. And um, I still had my my share of trying to, you know, get over it and cope with it. But um, I'm happy I got to experience that guy as a friend on this earth. You know, it's like, there's nothing like having a friend like that, you know. And, uh, you know, they come and go every once in a while. You know, but hopefully you get a chance to hold on to him. 
you know, and just, you know, and, and learn and, you know, enjoy them, you know. I know I'll see of almost running out of time now but I think we still have one more choice to come from you of one more record so we're going to go straight into that as well now so if you could tell me your last choice of record and once again give us a little bit of feedback on which video game you were playing when you first heard it well this one is actually a little more current this is um, a good friend of mine uh, named Clams Casino and um, a song he did a while back entitled I'm God and this is actually my introduction to Clams Casino, was this tune. And uh, it, it, it was so refreshing to hear something that was, you know, such a, so much of a beat scene kind of thing. It's like, this is, you know, it's when it's almost like, to, it's almost, for me, it's almost like to say it's like it's the perfect beat, you know. And I remember me and Lotus were sitting and listening to this and you know, I always like me and Lotus are always messing with each other to some degree. And I said, "Watch, I bet you, I bet you, Clams' dad plays guitar or piano." I was like, "It's got to be guitar or piano." And he was like, "He's like, why do you think he would do that?" I was like, "I don't know. It's just like there's something about somebody that can choose certain melodic sensibility, you know, that can hear things a certain way. Another person like that is Shafiq Hussein, and even Lotus is like that, you know. But uh, I was like, "Watch, Clams' dad plays guitar or piano," and I met him. And I remember meeting him. I was at Lotus's house, and Clams actually kicked me in the ribs because I was like on the floor. And he's like, "Hey," and he's like, "Hey, hey, what's up?" And I was like, "Uh." <laughs> and uh, I was like, "I got a question for you." I was like, "Does your dad play guitar?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Ha!" And I'm like running around the house, like, "Ha! I told you! I told you! I told you! I told you your dad play guitar." And to this day, this is still one of my favorite beats. So it's like, you know, I would turn this all the way up because it's so dope. You know, you may crash your car because of how loud it gets, but this song is pretty tight. <laughs> it's actually uh, Clamps Casino when I've got.
So that was Clams Casino, I'm God. This has been um, Stephen Bruner, Thundercat, speaking to us. It's been a real honor to have him here. Thank you very much for talking to us when you've just got off the plane. Uh, but thank you for having me on the show, man. We're now going to turn our attention to some of the new music coming out on Ninja Tune and its family of labels, starting with Leatherette and a track called After Dawn. Dawn by Leatherette on Ninja Tune. Look out for that one. Next up, we've got a track from Ras G, All Is Well on Brain Feeder.
was All Is Well by Russ G. That's on Brain Feeder from his album Back On The Planet. Next up, we have a track from Congo Natty, who was featured on the podcast last time. It's Get Ready. It's on Big Dada, and it's a big tune for Carnival. from Congo Natty on Big Data Records. A very nice tune indeed. Next up, we've got the latest from The Bug. It's called Dirty and it features Flodan. Dirty by The Bug featuring Flodan on Ninja Tune. Finally for this edition, we've got our last track. It's from Machine Drum. It's Eyes Don't Lie, but it's the DJ Shadow remix. You may have already heard this. If you haven't, you're in for a bit of a treat. Tears from the eyes, tears from the eyes, tears from the eyes. Oh, tears from the eyes, tears from the eyes.
Machine Drum, Eyes Don't Lie, DJ Shadow Remix, very nice indeed. And that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much. Thank you to Darren, as usual, and to Tom. Thank you very much. Bye.